The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We serve a holy God, a majestic God, a God who rules over heaven and earth. I welcome you, beloved pilgrims, and those of you who are new to the journey, who are just who are just starting or who are considering starting. You're at the right place. We're going to talk about Jesus and the journey. I want you on the journey. I want you to understand what the journey is. To understand how to walk it out. Now, I want to open with a prayer and with scripture. I'm trying to get all of my sound adjusted today. I've had many technical difficulties. And these things have been trying to me, but it's okay. I'm not I'm not going to have a hard time with it. I'm going to just trust Jesus. But I need to get my my volume where it needs to be. Lord Jesus, I just come now in your name, and I ask, Almighty God, that you would send your Holy Spirit now into every place where each of us is coming to worship you, whether a car or an office or a workplace. Lord, would you send forth now your Holy Spirit that we could come together and and be bound, be bound in love and mercy, grace and forgiveness, that we could trust you, Jesus, in what you're doing. We declare that you are the living God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we trust you. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture. It's a terrifying Scripture. It's found in the 16th chapter of Luke. This took place shortly before Zacchaeus, but Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. I don't know if this passage of Scripture was spoken by Jesus as a parable or if this really happened. I won't argue the point either way. Because of my background, I came from a background that believed in the sleep of the saints when they die. And so, of course, I would have a difficult time with this with this passage, I've moved beyond that to simply say, I want what Jesus wants. And if that's sleep, that's fine. I can argue that case from Scripture. Or if we are alive and well with Christ, I can argue that powerfully. I'll wait and find out. Let me just read it for you. Luke 16, 
I'll begin in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in hell or Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go out from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they may not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This story is terrifying because it speaks to us of delayed repentance. It speaks to us of a time when it's too late, when we no longer have the choice. It speaks of a time when, if you have not repented of your sin, You will suffer the torments of hell. I don't want that for any of us. I don't want us to delay our repentance. The scriptures are full of stories of of men and women who delayed their repentance. And because they delayed their repentance, they suffered. I don't want that for you. I want you to take action now. I have a confession to make. It's one I'm not proud of. But I'm going to share it in the hope that it will be helpful to you. The greatest sin of my life, 
the greatest sin of my heart has been singular. It has been unbelief. Oh, I believe the scriptures. I believed what I was taught from a very young child. But I personally could not understand nor comprehend nor apprehend that in reality, God was totally in control. I bought into the lie that if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'm going to have to do it. Because God doesn't do anything. And I saw time after time after time in my life where people said, oh, God did this. But I knew that God had not done it. They had done it in their own power, in their own wisdom, and their own strength. I went to camp meeting after camp meeting as a child, and they always had an interesting, huge sign over the platform in this big 5,000-seat auditorium or tent. And it would say things like, no longer do business as usual or some other saying. And then I saw them continue to do business as normal. And I said, what is this? This is a farce. Yes, Jesus is real. Yes, I'll follow him. Yes, I'll be a Christian. But no, I don't think God really moves in time and space to deliver me. And this unbelief grew in my heart. Till finally I came to a time as a pastor that I began to even question whether God existed. And that set me on a course to find out for real if God existed. I won't tell you the story. I've told it many times, but I want to go further today. I want you to understand what I'm saying to you today. This failure on my part to apprehend, to understand, to see with eyes that see, my failure to grasp the fact that God is, as one brother said to me this morning, God is the how God. God is the one who determines how things will happen and when they will happen. And it's foolishness for me to think that God is not watching every detail of my life and of your life. This failure on my part, coming and going in my life, was the source of many sins and mistakes that I have made in my life. And this morning in the early hours in the prayer closet, I was weeping over this, saying, Lord, I don't have a very good record with you. I've walked so much in unbelief. 
which is pride. Unbelief that that God is the one who is in charge, that my life is held in his hand, that he has counted the very hairs of my head. To begin to understand the reality of God's presence. And so I have at times reached out to take what I thought I needed that God was not supplying. And I suffered the tragic consequences of that action, of that decision. Now, sometimes it was very deceptive because that opportunity would come to me, and I would say, surely that's God. But it wasn't God. It was what my own heart desired, and Satan said, I'll bring you what your heart desires, and you leap out and grab it, Ray. I didn't understand that. Now, I acknowledge before you my shallowness, my slowness, my stubbornness, my pride. Oh, my brother, my sister. Do you understand how wicked this is that I'm speaking of today? Do you understand that it flows directly out of the great sin spoken of in the scriptures all through from Genesis to Revelation, the unbelief of the human heart, even when in the presence of God, Adam and Eve did not believe God when he said, don't touch that tree or you will die, or don't eat of that fruit, you will die. On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they did spiritually die when they ate of that fruit, but they didn't believe God. There is something inborn in our hearts that doesn't want to believe God. We want to be God ourselves. Ah, this has been so painful, so troubling, so so disturbing to my heart. I renounce it in the name of Jesus. I renounce all unbelief in the name of Jesus, but it's not enough to renounce it. Then I have to walk in it. One of the most wonderful things God has done for me is he asked me the question, and he was speaking audibly to me when he asked me this question. Will you receive from my hand only that which I choose to give you? And I said, yes. I didn't understand the consequential answer that I gave God. The question then, will I be satisfied with what God gives me? Some of you have asked me, Pastor, why aren't you on salary? Well, I'm not on salary because God hasn't chosen to give me a salary. 
Instead, he's chosen to hold me very close to his heart and give me only what he wants me to have. Do I have enough? I know what it is to have nothing and to be hungry. I know what it is to have much. It's all dependent on what God is doing with me and how I'm responding to him. I receive from the hand of God all that he desires, what he wants to give me. That keeps me on a very short leash with God. I treasure that. If the National Prayer Chapel said, look, we have adequate funds, we'd like to give you a salary. I would have to pray much about that. I would have to be clear that that was God saying, this is what I want for you now, Ray. I cherish only receiving from the hand of God what he chooses to give to me. And some people have come in great love and compassion to me and said, Pastor, do you need anything? My answer is, no. Well, how much money do you have in your pocket? Well, right now I don't have any money in my pocket. You need something. You do whatever God tells you to do. Do you understand where, where I'm coming from? What I'm trying to say to you is the greatest sin of my life has been one of not trusting the word of Jesus. And this comes home to us. This comes home directly to us. When we begin to consider what our needs are, what our wants are, and what God wants. And it comes directly into this question of, do you serve God or do you serve money? Who, whom do you serve? And it's so easy to slide over into unbelief. There are opportunities that have come to me, and I no longer simply assume that they came from the Lord. Instead, I turn aside and I say, wait a minute. Let me find out what Jesus is saying about this. Let me understand what he wants in my life. You see, it's when you're on salary, you're in a much more difficult place than I am. Because if you have adequate salary and you want that new car, you can go out and, and get a loan and 
and you can get in that new car. And it doesn't matter if your payment can be 800 it can be $1,200 a month. But if you have the discretionary income, you can cover it yourself. You don't need God. I can't do that. I only want what God gives me, not what I can go and get for myself. You see, sin rises out of self-sufficiency. Sin arises out of ambitions. Sin arises out of pride. And all of those have their root in unbelief. Not seeing the majestic God of heaven for who he is. For Adam and Eve, they saw this beautiful, stunning creature, a dragon, a snake, a flying snake. That's a dragon. They somehow were captured in the moment in time and somehow their vision of a holy God faded away. And they went after the immediate out of what was offered here and now. So often I've done that. So often I have done that. Driven by my own inner desires, driven by my own inner sense of need, driven by my own desire to be successful, driven by the flesh. Somehow, turning my eyes away from the majestic person of Jesus Christ from the glorious God revealed to us in the book of Revelation. This King of kings and Lord of lords who is above all, it's so easy for we who are human to turn aside and and somehow be taken by, by this immediacy, to be captured by my feelings, by my thoughts, by my hungers, by my lust. You know, I ask you, please, what is the greatest sin of your life? If you don't know, you're in trouble. Because when you're unconscious, Satan can easily twist you and cause you to fall back into whatever hidey cave he has prepared for you. You've got to be conscious. So, tell me. What is your major sin? What is the driving major sin of your life? Is it unbelief and pride? Oh, you might say it's it's sexual uncleanness. Well, that's unbelief and pride. You might say it's it's anger and bitterness. Well, that's unbelief and pride. I tell you, every sin of the human heart comes back to unbelief and pride. 
and those have to be crushed. I like this word. It's a big word, but it's an appropriate word. We must apprehend who God is. He's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's not a playmate. He's not a weakling. He's in control. You don't like the situation you're in? Stop fighting about it and go to the Lord God of heaven and confess how you don't like what's happening in your life and ask him for wisdom and understanding and tell him you're happy to stay right where you're at until he makes a decision to release you from the bondage of that snare. I know of people, precious people that I love, whose foot is caught in a snare. And they think they have to pay for the for the sin they've committed. I want to tell you I can't pay even the consequences for my sin. If I paid the consequence for my sin, I would be a dead man. For all I deserve is hell. All I deserve is to be cast with this rich man into the fire of Hades. There is nothing about me that deserves to be loved by the Lord Jesus. There's nothing I can claim of my own that would say, you're worthwhile, Ray. I've proven I'm not. If God's grace does not come and teach me and guide me, and how to leave my sin and be re- be reborn and and restored to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus I'm hellbound and I praise God today I've been redeemed don't tell me I have to pay the consequences for my sin well they say oh but king david had to pay the consequence of his sin that's old covenant That's not New Covenant. If I have to pay for the consequence of my sin, I'm a dead man. I remember when my late wife and I were deep in debt because of unbelief. $70,000 in credit card debt. No job and no income, no way to pay it. And we took all of those credit card bills and we laid them out before God. And we repented. 
and admitted that we had stolen this money because when we used the credit card, we knew we couldn't pay it back. We had no jobs. We were paying for food and shelter and everything on the credit card. We knew we couldn't pay it back. We knew we were stealing. But what are we going to do? We're in a hard place. And that's when I did the wisest thing I think I've ever done in my life. I went up in one of the empty bedrooms in that house. And I lay before God. And I wept over my sin. We repented together. And we asked Jesus to put that $70,000 under his blood. And he said, yes, I have done it. But then he said, I'm not going to do it all at once. He said, I want you to call each credit card company, make arrangements for a small payment every month. And every month I will send you the money to pay for those credit cards. Now, mind you, I had no job. I said, my job is to pray. And so every morning I would be in the prayer closet when it was time to go to work, and I would stay for a full day, often a double shift, simply praying and reading the scriptures and crying out to God, getting my my life straight before him, recognizing the horrible place I'd put myself in weeping over my sin. Over my dishonesty. Over my stealing. And then a man in Dumfries, interesting, Dumfries, Virginia, sent me a letter. He said, we're going to send you $300 every month. The Lord has told us to do that. We were homeless. We were living with a couple with, with no income and no church. Seven years. And then another person wrote a letter and said, Pastor Ray, we know you're in the West. We're not sure what's happening, but the Lord has told us to send you this amount every month. Suddenly, there was money being sent to us that completely covered those payments every month, plus enough for food. I want to tell you, when Jesus died on Calvary, he also covered the consequence of our sin. And he calls us to walk in repentance and in love, in mercy and kindness. But you have to apprehend who this great God is.
Now, he may put you in a very trying situation and tell you, go do this. But understand, it's not a consequence for your sin. It's a, dis- it's a, a discipling. It's a disciplining. It's a whipping to get you to turn your heart fully to Jesus and stop thinking of him as a hard man. Our Jesus is not a hard man. Our Jesus is righteous and holy, kind and merciful, tender-hearted, slow to anger. Ah, oh, my brother, my sister, I wish with all my heart that someone had told me this many years ago. This, this man, Lazarus, he never apprehended who God was. He lived in luxury because he could. And he paid no attention to this poor man at his gate. Maybe he tossed him a few crusts of bread, or maybe he tossed him even a few alms. Do you understand? If you delay your repentance, and you don't apprehend who God is, You're going to end up like Lazarus in the torments of hell. Even while you call yourself a Christian, we must repent while we can. Delayed repentance is extremely dangerous. Delayed repentance numbs our heart and sears our soul so that we think we're okay. We think we're very religious. I can tell you this. The Pharisees Loved money. In verse 14, they scorned what Jesus was saying. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Well, what is highly valued in men's eyes? Success, self-esteem, education, talents, degrees, love of of ceremony, love of, of human traditions without any piety. I know I'm going to step on toes here, but please hear me. Many people love Christmas because it's a very sentimental time. It's almost like there's a spirit that invades the land. But it is also 
totally devoid of piety, of righteousness. This is something man loves. The sentimental, the celebrations. But don't ask for piety. Don't ask me to lay my life down for Jesus. Don't ask me to turn away from the presence of evil. Let me have my television. Let me have my lifestyle. Let me have my Americanism. No. No. If we begin to understand what David understood in Psalm 51, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, almighty God. If we begin to understand what our sin is doing to the heart of God, if we begin to see the way the arrows of our arrogance and lust pierce the heart of God and cause him to weep over us, we will turn aside. But if you don't correctly understand and apprehend who God is, if you don't have a vision of of who the mighty God of heaven is and his majesty and his holiness, if you don't see this, you'll be consumed with self. This has to change. This man says, please, please send Lazarus to speak to my family so they don't come. No, no. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe someone who rises from the dead. They didn't believe Jesus, and he rose from the dead. No, there is something in the human heart that is so self-centered and so determined to have its way, so utterly self-sufficient. I used to say I'm like a cat with nine lives. I always land on my feet. That was a lie. Now I recognize that it was God who time after time after time stepped into my miserable circumstances and the arrogance of my heart and rescued me from that destruction that I was surely rushing toward. And in his mercy, even when I thought it was just my good luck, my ability to Determine what should happen. He saved me. He rescued me. He redeemed me. And today, I'm utterly ashamed of how I provoked God to judge me. And I've said, I don't understand why I'm still alive. 
I don't understand why God didn't say, that's enough. Your cup is full. You're out of here. Do you understand? Your very life is held by a slender thread over hell. And if God lets you down, there is not anything you can do to stop or rescue yourself. You do not, you do not have time to delay. Every day, judgment is rushing toward you. If you don't understand that, you will have a false security. And in that false security, you will be destroyed. Lazarus wished he could go back and live a different life. But it's given to man to live one time and then face the judgment. You don't get to go back and redo. It's only one time through this life and then we face judgment. And we face judgment with a holy and righteous God who understood and watched and knew every action you took, knowing the motive behind the action, knowing the evil self-design that was behind the action. So how is it with you? Will you listen to Moses and the prophets? Will you listen to Jesus? Will you listen to the apostles? Will you listen to the scripture? Will you listen to a preacher who proclaims this truth unvarnished for you? Will you turn and <clears throat> stop delaying repentance? Even those of you who who know you've been born from above, Many of you still have issues in your life. You have not surrendered. I've asked people, and they say, I'm, I'm working on it, pastors. Well, stop working on it and confess your sin. The way we work on sin is we confess it. We rebuke it. We cut it off. We're done. By the blood of Jesus, Jesus only recommends one way of dealing with sin. It's called amputation. Cut it off. Stop playing with the devil. And it means coming to terms with the reality that God rules heaven and earth, not you. It means humbling your heart before him. Almighty God, I don't want 
for me or my brothers and sisters, my fellow pilgrims. I don't want us to come to that judgment day and be told, you cannot enter the kingdom of God because you never fully repented of your sin. You continued to walk in your arrogance and your pride and your unbelief. You never believed I was real. Lord, I pray that you will give to every person listening the gift of conviction, the gift of turning from sin, the gift of humbling our hearts before you. Lord, come, please. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so glad you've joined today. I pray this message has touched your inner heart and that you will get on your face before God and make certain, asking him, asking him, is there anything in my heart? Search my heart, O God. Is there anything between your heart and mine? Lord, bring me into your presence. Meet with me. I'm praying for you. Please, I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me. I go every day to the mailbox and I look for your letter. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. After all the pledges are in for this month, we're still about $800 short for radio to pay for this month's radio. I can do a day of offertory, but I'd rather not. I'd rather just ask, please, would you give as the Holy Spirit calls you to give? Would you meet the need? I know you will, through the blood of Jesus. Also, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give by clicking on the upper right-hand corner. Would you subscribe to our YouTube? God bless you. I love you. We'll talk soon.